Welcome to the B2B Marketing and Copywriting Podcast, the show where we combine the best, the latest and greatest info in the world of marketing and merge it with conversion copywriting insights. I'm your host, Linda Malone, certified conversion copywriter and founder of The Copyworks. But before we get started, a quick reminder to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you enjoy what you hear, please consider leaving us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your feedback helps us bring you the content that you love. Now let's jump into today's discussion. My guest today is Nick Capozzi. Nick is the CEO and the co-founder of Splice Video. He's been using brand storytelling content to create demand and convert traffic for over 20 years. And he has some pretty amazing stories to tell. And he today will tell us all about how B2B companies should use more of a B2C lens for their storytelling and video and marketing. And I'm going to dig into what all of that involves and let's just get started. All right, Nick, great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Appreciate it. I'm pumped up to be here. I love talking to people in the valley. <laughs> the valley. Is that what they call Queen Creek? <laughs> no, Phoenix is called the valley because this is super interesting about the state of Arizona. Most people think of it as Phoenix, but if you drive in three of the four directions for 90 minutes, you go from 1,000 feet to 7,500. So it's oh. an interesting state. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot. I'm so new to this area. There's so much I, I don't know. All I know is it's super hot in the summer. And it is. I don't leave the house at all. At least I have an excuse not to leave the house. But, but yeah, I'm excited to talk to you about a lot of things around video and storytelling, all of which you are an expert in. But I want to start with something that intrigued me. I've listened to you on a couple other podcasts and you talk about B2B content through a B2C lens. Can you explain what that is and how it came about? 100%. So I had this really uh, unique background in the luxury goods space, uh, in the duty-free Caribbean market. I mean, you can't get more niche than that. And what we were doing was we would have all these European brands that didn't know how to sell to the Caribbean market. So we were essentially kind of brand developers uh, for this $3 billion market in the Caribbean every year. And it was interesting. We'd have these executives from these like major European Swiss watch brands. And they would say, we know how to sell in Dubai. We know how to sell in Tokyo. We know how to sell in Rome. We have no idea how to sell to Debbie from Des Moines, who's on a cruise ship. <laughs> so I'd always been in this B2C lens, but B2C is easy to, to talk about because it's chicken wings and Nikes. It's like sexy stuff. Right. How do you tell stories about B2B efficiency tools? How do you make Gmail interesting? Right. Right. So, so that's what we look at is kind of, you know, how do we bring, um, you know, the story out of these efficiency tools as opposed to just product and features. So that's that's how we think about it and that's how it came about. So B2C is more about stories. Like I'm thinking the brands that you talked about, like Nike, um, some of them I do know kind of the backstory because they make it part of their marketing. But yeah. is that always the difference? Is that the biggest difference between the two marketing? Well, I think, you know, especially like in technology, I would say in my experience, probably nine out of 10 founders are technical. And a lot of times it's like, okay, we have this, this great technical product. Everyone's going to come and, and, and scoop it up. And when that doesn't happen, they wonder why. And typically what it is is that um, when it comes to efficiency tools, we often you know, nail out the features and benefits, right? As opposed to right. what's the actual pain? What's the right. pain that the person who's going to use the software 
actually deal with. So there's that aspect of it. And then I also think the opportunities missed with these founders, whether you're a roofing company or a technology company, is you know what's what's the story of how you got to where you are today? And right. that is the most interesting thing that no one is looking at. And often, you know, founders will tell will say, Well, my backstory is not that interesting. And I think it is. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I last year I talked to a founder who uh, was born in Taiwan and at 13 moved to Natchez, Mississippi, the middle of the Mississippi Delta. So imagine the culture shock of Holy going cow. from high rises in the skyline of Taiwan to uh, Natchez, Mississippi. Wow. Glory, right? What was the first thing you were thinking? What was your mother's reaction when you landed having never been to Mississippi, <laughs> right? And I think those are the interesting layers of a story that people often miss or don't think is interesting, but everyone's got a backstory and and there's an opportunity to build in public, tell the founder's story, mm-hmm. so really shining a light on on the journey. And I think that's one of the ways that you can take an efficiency tool and make it sexy. Why do you think that's, that resonates? Is it because then the founder or the person who's talking becomes more relatable? Like people say, wow, you know, is that the main thing? So the best storyteller in every organization is the founder. And, you know, when you look at the best salesperson in an organization, it's usually the founder too, because they've just, the stories they wind up telling to sell their product, you only see it if, if it's a founder-led sale. Um, but we're selling to humans and that B2C is very human-centric. B2B mm-hmm. is very business-centric, but the buyer is a human. The user is a human. The procurement is human, right? And I think that's what we miss is, is these stories. So, and, and I think there is this humanizing aspect to telling your story and, and being vulnerable and, and right. talking about the peaks and valleys. And one of the things I always ask people when I'm interviewing them is, you know, what keeps you up at night? Mm-hmm. And, and I think what's interesting is that people will tell you, right? They'll, they'll give you the questions that you ask because they see that you're following a path to tell right. a story. Whereas often what will happen is marketing will say, and I'm, I'm a marketer, uh, marketing will say, hey, we want to talk about these 10 things. So we'll talk about those 10 things and maybe three of those make good videos, but the really good videos come from the deeper dives and wait a minute, hold on. How did that come about? <laughs> and, and that's what, when you're, when you're in the marketing flow, the analytics of demand gen and, and you know, all that, yeah. you know, how do you, how do you think about tracking it? And, and I got to get this and I got to hit my KPIs and yeah, KPIs are important. That's why I love tech. It's so process driven. It's hard mm-hmm. for me to go into B2C companies now because there's not enough process. I'm used to the pace of process of tech. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's the the opportunity that's that's missed is, is the human-centric story, whether from a founder, whether from you know a seller in an organization, whoever it is, but telling those stories beyond the features and benefits. Yeah, that's interesting. People are always fascinated because my background is so, I'm one of these serial entrepreneurs yep. and I actually ran a bakery and I was a pastry chef and I do everything like a hundred percent. So I threw myself in it and then I just burn out. And then I did personal training, which is like, people think it's night and day, but to me, it's like, it's like, what were you creating your own clientele? I think people ask me that with my bakery. Um, 
I just tend to do things that are fun. And when they stop being fun, I stop doing them. But writing has always been kind of the undercurrent. I love that. Okay, let me hit on that for a second. Sorry, Linda. But let's talk about the bakery for a second. And I'll, I'll draw a parallel here. If I'm on Instagram and I'm following your bakery on Instagram, what do I see? I see plates, right? Or I see the pastries, okay, which right. looks good. looks good. It's just a pastry, right? But now, what if instead of those, I was listening to Linda's story of why you started the bakery and why you always fold left over right or why this is your favorite thing because your grandmother taught you how to make this, right? What's more interesting? Just the pictures, which look good, but okay, I see that all over Instagram or, mm-hmm. or your story of why you own a bake shop. And I want to come down and, and buy baked goods from you, pastries from you, because I, I want to meet you because I've gotten right. pulled into your story, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's true. Um, but I think when you're in it, it's hard. Like you said, a lot of people, B2B marketers or B2B you know, founders will say, well, my story's not that interesting. And sometimes that's how I feel. It's like, especially because as a copywriter, everything has to be directed to the, the reader. Yep. And so I'm not comfortable talking about myself as much because I don't think anyone cares, but I think they do like, I'm like what you just said, but you met, you touched on something I wanted to go back to a little bit is about being a little bit vulnerable. And we have this whole thing about authenticity, especially on LinkedIn and emotional storytelling. Like when is, when is it too much? Like, how do you know how to incorporate the emotion into a story without getting too sentimental or overstepping that? I think people don't, they don't overstep it because they're so conservative with it. You know, if I, I can't think of a single example of where someone may be told too much. Now, I've seen people build their personal brand and maybe get into very personal things. Um, but I think, you know, the emotion of, of the journey, right? So, so I, I think the best way to answer that, Linda, is let's, let's think about the emotion of the journey mm-hmm. versus the emotion of, of being human. Right. So, so what are the, you know, if I was going to do a chef's table style Netflix show for a founder, what are, what would people want to watch? Right. If it's all about the founder and the business, they're just going to want the trials and tribulations and the emotion. Um, but I don't think I, it's a very fair question and I don't want to give you a, a weak answer, but I, I haven't seen, especially from a founder's point of view, you know, someone who's gotten too emotional about it. I, I, I'm, I'm waiting for someone to cross that line and then, I, and then maybe I'll have an opinion, but I just don't see it right now, to be frank. Yeah. Well, there's some people I've seen on LinkedIn and everyone, you know, obviously has their story, but there's people who talk about having been in prison and, and right. it, you know, it's not a matter of judging, but you know, it's, does that really help or hurt your brand to be that open? And that's where I'm going. So I've seen maybe uh, a sales development rep who's new and they're telling very personal stories versus a founder who's so buttoned up. I'm trying to find that happy medium, mm. um, but I'm with you 100%. They're, they're for sure. They, you know, if someone's been to prison, that is part of your story. I actually, I'm very close with a founder who, who was in prison and it's a great story, but we can't tell that story on LinkedIn. But it's, yeah. but it's a great story for like a movie, like the trials and tribulations of, you know, sitting in a cell and, and, and how you're going to come out and, and take over the world when your time is up. Right. Um, so I, w- I probably wouldn't talk about that, but also for certain people, if you're trying, if you're, if you have a coaching business and you want to coach on certain things, then you could maybe talk about something like that. But if mm-hmm. I'm shining the light on a founder, I think the trials and tribulations are, you know, your first pitch to a VC, 
what was the feeling as you're five minutes away pulling up to that building? What do you, what is in your head, right? That type of emotion, that angst, I think is not only okay to talk about, I think I would double down and how much can I talk about it? Um, And that's where other social media platforms, other than LinkedIn, we think of them as more business to consumer because it's more people just telling like real stories, whereas there's still a buttoned up element to LinkedIn. But here's the opportunity. According to LinkedIn, 1% of their active users post once a week, uh, post uh, regularly. Mm-hmm. And they deem an active user as someone who logs on at least once a week. So what percentage of that 1% are posting video regularly? All anecdotally say it's probably 1% of 1%, which means That's 1 crazy. in 10,000 people are regularly posting video on LinkedIn. And that's the opportunity. It's the opportunity to be the mayor of a small town, right? right? right. And all you need to do, whether you're selling an efficiency tool or jewelry, is find you know 2,000 people who want to buy that from you. And I think where the opportunity, when we look at content and we look at video, let's speak to those 2000 people, right? What are their pain points? How do we get in front of them? Why is this relevant to them? How do you tie those stories together? Yeah, that makes total sense. Well, what, so you, you touch on this as well, that the types of stories. So it sounds like there's still kind of leading up to like a business element to like, say for example, with me as a copywriter, um, the story that I tell is how I was a content writer and article writer for big publications and how there was one day where I had this, in fact, I was going to post on this on LinkedIn, like how a single email can change everything. And I had an email yeah. from one of my editors who was giving, I had so much business with them. It was MSN. I was writing for them. And within a single email, all that went away. And what did I do? Like that kind of story, it seems That's like would a great be great story. Yes, I, w- I want to hear that story, Linda. <laughs> I just told it in a nutshell. But yeah, it was, um, it, that's a story that I do tell. And I've also told how um, I got $42,000 in debt from taking courses that I have posted on LinkedIn more than once. And I usually get a really good um, response to that. And it, it does seem to really hit on, you know, what a lot of people, people want to hear about how, you know, they're, they're kind of tired of, oh, I made, you know, a million dollars in six months or whatever, you know, craziness is out there. They want to hear about how you fell down and got back up. It seems so like. I, you're hundred percent right. Right. We want, it's, it's, it's that human story, the hero's journey, right? I mean, if you, people will tell you there's like 10 different formats for Hollywood movies and there is, right? Yeah. People don't go beyond that because we have an expectation of, of how we follow these stories. But I was at a, a conference a couple of weeks ago and the CEO was like, he opened his, his speech with, um, I'm going to tell you how I made a $2.6 billion mistake. What an opener. And we were all glued for the next 29 and a half minutes until he told us the story finally. And what the message was, was I sold for X. We sold too early because we sold our company for X and our competitor at that time, who we were ahead of in every metric, went on and sold for 2.6 billion, which was basically like 50X what we sold for. And the lesson was, you know, about patience, but what a vulnerable story. Right. If you if you start a LinkedIn post or a video with here's how I made a two point six billion dollar error. Am I going to watch that? Oh, my God. I'm I'm, I'm popping popcorn before I click play. Right. (laughs) So, yeah. And and that's obviously like a dramatic one. 
But I think, you know, what I tell people all the time, here's a great way to make content is just talk into a Word document. So dictate yourself talking for 30 minutes and mm-hmm. talk about starting the company, what worked, what didn't work. And then if you do that for 30 minutes, you're going to start to find these themes of stories. You're going to have 10, 15, 20 stories out of a 30 minute, you know, brain ideation. And from there, then now you've got 30 things you can talk about, right? Right. The emotional things. And I think too, everyone has a story. I, I talk to a lot of like uh, sales development representatives who in the technology world, that's kind of entry level into sales. And they're like, who wants to listen to me? And I'm like the hundred thousand other sales development reps who are also starting their journey. Mm-hmm. What was the hiring process like? How many interviews did you have to do? What did you, what kind of research did you do for the company? Okay. You got there. What kind of tools do they have? What do they have in their tech stack? What was the first week like? Right. That yeah. journey, people want that story. And yeah. SDRs who tell stories like that go from 500 followers on LinkedIn to 10,000 in six months. And they're like, mm-hmm. wow, now, now I have a community following me. Do I want to continue? And now you can either take that and continue your career with it and use LinkedIn or whatever social to grow your career. Or now you can start to productize. Are there is there something that you can sell to other SDRs from your learnings? Because now mm-hmm. you're six six months ahead of the new batch of SDRs that are coming in, and what value can you give them? Yeah, and I think it's especially relevant in in copywriting because other copywriters and we do tend to be introverts. Writers in general are, and so one of the reasons I started doing podcasts and why I started doing video is because everyone else wasn't. Like I try to find that gap. That's what I. You know, I work with all my clients. It's like, how are you going to differentiate yourself from everybody else? Like, what is, what's your competition not doing that your audience wants? Kind of telling thing. stories. That's what they're not doing. But keep going. Yeah. So if as far as stories, so when you use them on like LinkedIn, I mean, how do you vary it? Like, say, because it's just me. I mean, I have. Do do you recommend like having a handful of different stories that you tell and how do you know like um you know which story to tell what audience that kind of thing so i think the way i look at it is um i learned this in tech very early from a lot of people building in public is listen to what the market wants from you mm-hmm. so i would start telling stories and then see which ones hit right go through your data go back through linkedin and analyze oh wow this story went crazy is it because i had a really good opener to the post Mm -hmm. or was there something else but i think once you've been posting for two three months consistently you can take those data points and start to evaluate what worked what didn't um but the way i look at it is that I always position it as a journey. You're starting from one position and you're currently at another position. And what were the steps in that? So there's people who talk about, hey, this happened today with a client. I made a note of it. And now I'm going to tell that story. And then others are a little bit more intentional with planning out the 20, 30, 40 posts that kind of have a a thread through them that kind of takes you through that. I think you can do it any way, um, but I would listen to what the market, going back, I would listen to what the market wants from you. What are they receptive to? Um, you know, originally my audience was mostly sellers and, and sales executives. Um, now we're mostly trying to get in front of marketers. So, um, you know, I need to slowly kind of pull more marketers into my audience um, and then I'll listen to what they want from me. I think they want one thing with video right now, but they might tell us something otherwise. Um, you know, last year we, we did this when we started Splice Video, we listened to what the market wanted from us. And it was a lot of thought leadership interviews and a lot of events. 
you know, this year we're thinking, hey, there's new things. We listen to what the market want. We built a successful business, bootstrapped. It was a lot of, you know, a lot of fun building it. But what's 2024 look like? What are some things that we can test now that we have these data points, having listened to the market? Right. And speaking of that, um, how do you measure the success of, like, say, storytelling videos? Can you measure so, the success? You know, it's super interesting. Um, if I'm talking to someone who's in demand generation, it's what are the KPIs of this video? If I'm mm -hmm. talking to someone about brand, it's like, how do we get as many eyeballs as possible? So I think, you know, it depends on what your strategy is. I think right. brand building, whether personal or business, is always easier to do. Right. Um, but there is, you know, you have the element of video, but then you also have the element of, of social media strategy. And, you know, my argument when it comes to KPIs is um, I can make you a great dinner with what's in your fridge, but if you also let me go buy groceries, I'll make an exceptional dinner. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if we're doing videos for someone, we'll give them the strategy. Um, but I think to really measure it, you know, there's a lot of strategy that goes into posting and engaging, and that's a whole other element. We prepare our clients for that. But if you're just going to start to create your own personal brand, I would just get the posts up. The biggest barrier to entry is just getting posts up. It's the same thing with podcasts. So uh, nine out of 10 podcasts don't make it past the first eight episodes. People just stop. I've heard that. Right. It's also why I'm at 105 because everyone else is quitting. <laughs> so. But I love that. First thing I did, so I get asked to come on podcast. First thing I did was how many episodes do you have? And I was like, love it. Let's go, Linda. Let me listen to a few of these. I'm excited to have found you. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, but I think that's, you know, it's the same thing with posting. People will make eight posts. I didn't get any traction. And they're like, let me focus on the new shiny thing. Right. But there is nothing that works better than consistent posting. And I've never had anything go viral ever. Everything really? I've had has been ever. Everything I've had to build my network has been meat and potatoes. Um, and I've been inconsistent with my posting. And in fact, you know, my, I might have double the amount of followers that I do now if I had been consistent in my posting the last 18 months. Mm -hmm. It's like the shoemaker's kid's shoes, right? We're always running around trying to, to make everyone else's content. So we struggle a little bit with that as we're currently constructed. But, you know, if I was a solopreneur, if I'm a one-person shop and I'm at home and I'm building a business, mm -hmm. um, I would dedicate two hours a day to business development slash social media slash brand awareness. Because um, you can build the most amazing product or service. And if no one knows about you, no one's going to buy from you. Yeah. And speaking of social media, so uh, I'm in the process now of repurposing. Like I repurpose my podcasts minimally because it's just me. But I'm actually, as we speak, I'm about to hire an assistant. I've had assistants in the past, but I realized, um, you ever read Dan Sullivan's books? 10x is easy. Dan Sullivan um, is this executive coach, and I love him because uh, his books are killer. He, this latest one is 10x is easier than 2x, and mm -hmm. he has a, he just talks about the the premise of it. Basically, is that you become a, you're a different person at 10x than you are at 2x, and it doesn't take long to really see what the gist of it is. But it really hit home with me, and he one of the things he brings up which I've taken lightly before, but now I'm taking really seriously. He says, you cannot grow until you have people who can help you. You need to have a team. And I've had on and off people, but I thought to myself, this is really what I want to do with my own podcast. And so my question to you is, you know, it's always, okay, you take your podcast and you repurpose it, you break it up into, you know, 30 different pieces. 
what if I'm mainly on LinkedIn though? Is it still worth it to be, what was the name of the movie? Everywhere, everything, everywhere, all at once. I mean, should I just put it out? I have an Instagram account I don't use, Facebook account I don't use, but should I put everything there? Volume wins. And absolutely. If you could be posting three times a day, I would do that. Volume, volume wins. And everyone misses that. They're like, it has to be so curated. If it's not a good video, people won't see it. Don't worry about that. We, everyone puts these barriers to entry to consistently posting something. Um, I was just talking to a potential client today and they're like, why do we need 60 videos a month? And I said, Mm -hmm. because you'll get, because the, the aggressive targets you're trying to do you need to be in everyone's feed twice a day across every single social platform. They're like, we don't have a following on YouTube shorts. I'm like, great, we'll create one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so volume wins always because it's, you know, and my argument to that is, other than the fact it works, is that it's very difficult to affect a buyer's timeline. But if you're consistently in their feed when they are ready to buy, you are the thought leader. And the beautiful thing is, if you, especially if you're posting video content, when someone comes into your world now via Zoom, it's like, oh my God, it's you, right? <laughs> so they are so warmed up to buy, yeah. right? And now we're just trading horses on what they're buying. Yeah. And I think that's the the biggest advantage that people don't realize. Um, and then, you know, the other thing too is that when you're consistently making content and you start to network and build relationships, you start to build friendships your friends want to support you and they're trying to find your work and referring you. And it's not just happy clients. It's it's your whole network and community that refers you things. Yeah. You know, I probably, you know, I said our content has been inconsistent the last year. Everything's in off referrals. It's off of people who know me or have seen my content or, but, but you have to understand referrals today. I knew no one. I wasn't on LinkedIn three years ago. I was, but it was completely unused. It's really mm-hmm. the last three years and now I have this massive network and I feel confident that whatever the business I want to start, whether it's, you know, splice video and we're making great video content, or I want to start something else. I feel I have a strong enough and robust enough community that I can start something new if I yeah. want to. Cause I know what you're saying is so true because I bought things from people on LinkedIn just because I like them and I haven't even used the product. It's like somebody has, you know, I'm selling a new book. It's like, all right, I want to support this person. So I'll buy it. Um, and I do that. And sometimes I, you know, get benefit out of it. And sometimes I don't, but it, um, it makes a huge difference to me. And so one of the last things I want to ask you is what, what advice would you give to B2B marketers who are looking to integrate storytelling into their video content strategy for the first time? Like, are there common pitfalls that they should avoid? Um, the, the common pitfalls is they all go features and benefits. I have, very rarely do I talk to a marketer who is not features and benefits in KPIs. That's not a story, no. right? Those are data points. What is the story? You know, okay. I, I, what I would do, here's what I would do. If I, if I came in as, in a marketing department, I would have a conversation with the founder for an hour and I would record it. And I would just say, tell me the story. Where did you start? What did you do before this? When did you have the hypothesis? When did you reach idea market fit? When did you reach product market fit? How did you think about scaling? How did you think about raising money? Have those stories. Mm-hmm. And then if you do that for an hour, you're going to be like, oh my God, I have six months worth of content that I can now spin off of this. Mm-hmm. What's really interesting for us is that 
part of the reason we had success out of the gate was we're very good in having very short sessions with CEOs, but generating a lot of content. So if I have a CEO for 45 minutes, I can give them a quarter's worth of really strong video content. And I think that's the opportunity missed is, you know, features and benefits, you can have five, six, seven posts off that. But the story of the journey, the story of the clients, the story of the early adopters, the story of the beta testers, all those stories of the journey will fascinate people. And it becomes less about, it's almost like a soft sell product placement for the technology now. Um, and it's really built around the story of the journey. And especially because most of them aren't doing it. So you're no, going to be no one is doing it. No right. one is doing it, Linda. And, and that is the opportunity, especially in technology is that it's so process-driven, everyone's doing the same thing. Yeah. Everyone is doing the same exact thing because the VCs say, hey, this is how you get from A to B. So they do the same thing. And that's why when everyone is zigging, you can zag. And when I came from business to consumer, selling luxury goods and cruise business, I was floored when tech started picking me up. I said, what do you guys want with me? I don't know anything about technology. And someone said to me, they said, what's really interesting about you, Nick, is that you have this business to consumer lens. And, right. you know, we are selling to humans in B2B and we forget that. And yeah. that was what got me traction at the beginning. Especially now with AI, you know, and everyone's relying on that. And that's even worse. I think it pulls you even further away from what we're trying to do. And I wonder what if social media will even be relevant in five years when AI has completely dominated it. Right. And I think that's the opportunity now is to get in now. And I, I, you know, while everything is still authentic, because I think at some point, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think there's going to be a, like legally on a governmental level, they'll be like, this is AI generated content. There'll have to be some sort of watermark or something to announce that. Um, so I think, you know, the next two, three years is a massive opportunity as everyone starts generating copy via chat GPT. Well, wow. Okay. What's real anymore? You on video. <laughs> Right. Right. You can't no. fake that. Well, you can fake that. I mean, there was a question, I think it was on Reddit a while ago, uh, where someone asked, what is, what's your biggest fear about AI, like in the future? And the number one answer was wondering if the person I'm talking to is a real person. That's, and I think that's why on a governmental level, there's going to be, you know, this is AI versus this is real. I, I think there's, I, I would be surprised if it didn't at some point get to that crossroads. Yeah. I always talk on LinkedIn about how, you know, copywriting is about uh, eliciting, you know, getting emotions, getting your reader to experience an emotion. And that's something AI can't do. I mean, it can pull it from what's already been done, but it can't create. It can only, you know, pull from what's already been said and done. It doesn't have emotion. And I, and I think what's interesting too, is that even if we're talking about chat GPT, like who's prompting it? Right. There, there is value the prompting and, you know, prompting libraries and prompting consultants, I think is going to be the next big thing. As someone said, there's going to be no such thing as a prompt uh, engineer. I, I don't agree with that, at least short term. Um, so I, I think it's an interesting time. But, you know, in my mind, it's the best time to get out there and create awareness. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been such a great conversation, Nick. What, um, where can people reach you and find you and learn more about LinkedIn. you? Nick Capozzi or spliceVideo.com. Um, that's, that's where to find me and our content, which is going to be more consistent this year, I promise. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. And I will put your information in the show notes. All Thanks right. Thanks again. Thanks, Linda. 
And that's a wrap for today's episode. We hope you found it informative, thought-provoking, and engaging. If so, please share it with your friends and colleagues who might also be interested in marketing and copywriting trends and innovations. And remember, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the B2B Marketing and Copywriting Podcast on your favorite podcast platform and on our YouTube channel so you never miss an episode. We'll be back next week with another show, so stay tuned.